welcome to episode 71 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 2nd of September 2019. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Hello. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. And we're all back, the whole team, just in time for politics to go absolutely fucking mad this week. But let's not uh, dwell too much on that. I'm sure that uh, Graham will drop enough references <laughs> in as we go along. Just in time? Where have you been the last three years? <laughs> Stop the coupe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, the best one that I saw was uh, a picture of Jacob Rees-Mogg and Boris, and it said, uh, like, we don't want a coup de twats. It's <laughs> <laughs> very funny. Anyway, um, Let's get into the news and the usual KDE nonsense. Uh, there's quite a lot of links here, failing. I, I was firing as much to see what could stick, but um, they're all quick. Um, so the first one is uh, work that's taking place for the Plasma phone book, which if you are looking for a replacement phone and you're fed up with Android, is quite important. And this is using the new Cube, which is a replacement for a contact email client. Um, that's been done by some other people. Um, well, it's associated to, but not directly the KDE project, but they're sharing code back and forth. So CubeSync is their almost next generation ver- version of Akinadi, which is the storage indexing, all that sort of stuff. Um, and this is using that and it's integrating some contacts with uh, Nextcloud in the example video below. So it's good to see this is all taking place because it means that, you know, there is a plan in place to replace that eventually. I mean, it, it works for me, but um, people have complained in the past about it, but I think it's it's improved greatly since. But it's good to see that there's a new idea, which is quicker and stuff, and that's on the horizon. So that's quite cool. And uh, yeah, especially if you've got a Pine phone that you'd like to order and would like to do something other than Android. Yeah, or the Labum 5 when that eventually ships. That might well have uh, Plasma Mobile running on it, maybe. We'll have to see. Um, what's K highlighting then? So about, I think it was about two, three years ago, um, the syntax highlighter that's attached to the <laughs> K text editor part, which is all very exciting. I'm sure you're thoroughly overjoyed by this. Um, essentially, it's a component and a library that, a lot of the KDE applications that are doing any text highlighting are going to use. So Kate, KWrite, KDevelop, all those type of things. And any third-party ones that want to tie into the KText editor automatically get K-Syntax Highlighter for free. And they have just hit over 300 um, various scripts, languages, etc. And wanted to highlight that if there's anything there that you haven't got, you can get involved. It's quite easy. There's some nice documentation for it. And it's really just a XML file and a few rules and a few tests, and you are done. So feel free to contribute. When there's, there's no highlighting for the like, my language of choice, I just choose JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> that just seems wrong. What is it, Graham? Come on. <laughs> is it Amiga something? No, no, there's, there's a language called Chuck. That doesn't sound like a real language. It is. It is a real language. It's, it's an, I, I daren't say it, but it's, it's an, a language for coding audio applications with <laughs> free concurrency. Imagine my surprise that it doesn't have highlighter. <laughs> well, I think I think now you've just uh, volunteered yourself to go and add one. Yeah, because it's got a couple of keywords that are totally unique, like spork. Actually, it's like fork, <laughs> but for a new process that stays in sample sync with whatever other methods you create in the language. It is very cool. 
But it's like JavaScript then. <laughs> the, well, the syntax is a little. It's the closest right. thing. And I do like syntax highlighting, I must admit. Um, all right. What about this Plasma browser integration business? So, yes, they have an update to that, which it's a excellent, excellent feature. So if for anybody who doesn't know, there is a small component uh, package that ties in with Firefox and there's a Firefox plugin. And those two combined allow you to see um, Alamart Media Player playback up in your toolbar, which is very handy if you want to pause a video while you're trying to do something else and see which one is playing and stuff like that. And they've um, done some updates to that to add a few things uh, to improve like the iframe stuff. If there's multiple audio sources uh, that have been played by JavaScript on a page, uh, so you weren't stopping and starting all them. Now, that might be ads, for instance, or God knows what that's attached around the outside of the thing. Um, I'm not going to say what type it is, but I'm sure you all understand. Uh, and then uh, some of the extra media session API is there as well. Now, this is quite cool because I've seen some of the bits of this where if I'm listening to some of the radio stations that would have a YouTube channel that they do YouTube live and stuff, it's quite cool because you can get some of the feedback of the album art and all that in the top top right uh, well for me it's a top right window but um that's quite cool um and it, it you know allows greater control of it allows your multimedia keys to function and stuff like that which is quite cool if you want to try and stop something quickly if it's if you're trying to do something or take a call or whatever yeah i agree i use it as well i, th- I may have mentioned this before but it, the installation of it actually stopped me upgrading from uh, one version of i think it was kubuntu to the next and it was a real pain trying to track down what it was that was causing the problem i think it was crashing hangouts that's right oh wow okay so it's always worth looking if um, you're running into weird problems like that that sometimes it's installed and you, you forget that it's there in your browser all right last bit of kde stuff then academy is at the end of this week which is the big kde get together yeah and that kicks off on saturday and that is in milan and uh if you're going go really quickly um and <laughs> i'll be jealous of you going and i'm sure it'll be good crack and hopefully we'll see some good videos out of that as well. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's move on to GNOME then. And they've just had Guardec and there's a bunch of videos up for that. So we'll link to that. Check them out. There's lots of good stuff happening over there. And also from GNOME over the last couple of weeks is GNOME firmware updater. Now, this isn't ready for action yet, but Husey's put a blog post up about it. Um, they had an intern working on it. And it looks, from the screenshots at least, to be pretty sweet. It's kind of a GTK front end for FWAPD, which is more advanced than the the stuff you can do in GNOME software at the moment. It certainly seems worth a look, and um, I would imagine it would have piqued your interest, Will. Yeah, I, I think it's important to understand that this was done, well, at least as I understand it anyway, this was done as a as an intern project, not as a official uh, replacement for any other firmware updating tools. I think that's important to stress. But yeah, this gives the users features that don't exist in GNOME software, for example. The idea with GNOME software firmware updates is that it is an update and you are offered that update and you can apply it. With this tool, you can choose to go backwards in time to a previous firmware update. So a downgrade, effectively. Um, And that's useful in a a number of situations. And as Husey talks about on his blog, this is um, especially useful for people like Dell who want to be able to ask the the customers who are phoning them and reporting a problem, oh, please, could you try the previous firmware update and see if it works there? Um, And so this tool is, uh, I don't know that it's designed to... um, 
to fill that need, but it certainly provides that that feature so that the the support people can say, well, try this firmware, try that firmware, um, and you get the options to to install the different ones. And it's been designed, uh, well, at the moment it's a standalone app, but it's been designed so that it can integrate very easily into the control center. Um, and so, yes, if development continues and features continue to get added, then this could very well become part of the standard GNOME desktop um, in the future, which is pretty cool. And so it might well end up in Ubuntu then? Yeah, if it's part of standard GNOME, then it certainly will. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, I hope so. Yeah, because it is very early at this stage, isn't it? I mean, you wouldn't think about putting it in Ubuntu yet, but it seems like something that, uh, you know, if it gets some development legs on it, you know, if, if other people start contributing to it and improving it and it gets to a stage where it is kind of, you know, 1.0 or whatever, then I could imagine a lot of GNOME-based distros adopting it. I mean, why not? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Dell, well, Mario specifically, and um, and other people have been doing work to make uh, FWAPD accessible from inside Snaps. So this would be a good um, candidate to be snapped up, put in the store, and then if you yeah, if you phone Dell support and you're running Ubuntu, then they might tell you to install it. Uh, and then, yeah, in the future, it could become default on Dell pre-installs. It could even become default on normal Ubuntu. It's not actually doing anything that you can't already do with FWAPD on the command line, though, but it's just obviously if you're doing support over the phone, you don't want to be telling people, okay, open a terminal, yeah. type this and that. Yeah, I can see why they want a GUI for it. And it's good that Dell are getting involved and not just having some horrible proprietary thing that they ship on the XPSs or whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The timing of the announcement of this was quite funny, I thought, given that just a week previously, System76 announced um, Firmware Manager, which is their GUI, which integrates with FWAPD or System76-Firmware, which is their own kind of firmware updater. And so this has somewhat stolen the uh, limelight for it, but it sounds like the System76 one is further along. So we might end up with two possibilities to use now, which will be funny. But is the System76 one specifically for System76 only? Well, no, that's the point, that it will integrate with the, their firmware updater tool, but it will also work with FWAPD, which is the standard one. So essentially, System76 looked at DKMS and went, oh, Dell managed to get a sneaky sort of thing that everybody uses in there, so let's get System76 package in there too. <laughs> I think it's um, a lot of coincidence that these things were announced at the same time. Yeah. Um, and I, th I think System76 announcing theirs is what prompted Husey to announce, in inverted commas, um, the one that, um, that those guys were working on, um, purely because there was some confusion coming around and people weren't sure what was what. And so, yeah, they needed to say something. And, and that's how the announcement came to be. Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL and you can get $50 credit with 30 days to use it. DigitalOcean offers VMs or droplets, as they call them, in data centers all over the world with really fast network and really fast SSDs. And you can choose from one of the distros that they offer, like Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, and CentOS, or FreeBSD, or you can use your own custom image. And you can take those distros and build them up exactly how you want. Remember, you've got complete root access to these. Or you can go for one of their one-click apps, like LAMP and LEMP stacks and WordPress, Discourse, GitLab. And these droplets start from as little as $5 a month, and they scale all the way up to huge amounts of RAM and huge numbers of CPU cores, so you can deploy exactly how much you need for the application that you're using. 
If you need more storage, they've got block storage and object storage, which is really easy to attach to your droplet and just get going straight away. They have cloud firewalls, so you can block network traffic before it even gets to your VM, amazing backups, and a great Teams feature that allows multiple people to work on one droplet without having to share passwords. So go to do.co slash LNL, get your $50 credit, and get started. That's do.co slash LNL. All right, moving on then. Who put in this Google tracking nonsense? Yeah, it was me. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I know, I was surprised too. (laughs) So this is Google claiming that with Chrome, it's going to be all super private and stuff. Yeah, and it's really hard to get rid of cookies. Oh, man, Mm. you wouldn't believe the difficulty that they'd have to get rid of those. (laughs) And despite the continual surveys that say that tracking-based ads are a lot of shite and nobody fucking uses them and they're all rubbish anyway, and if you just target ads based on the type of article, oh, imagine my surprise, because I thought I'd like to get advertised about cat brushes while I was looking up something to do with a, you know, Python code or whatever. That, um, you know, it's just too hard to do all that. You just can't. You can't do it. It's tough. Well, the EFF are quite balanced in their article about this. And they say that Google is doing some good stuff, but then some of the other things they're talking about is just total fucking bullshit. And how they say, like, oh, if you don't have uh, cookies, tracking cookies, then you have to do browser fingerprinting. Meanwhile, um, Apple and Mozilla have sorted that out or at least are in the process of sorting it out it's a very good read the ff one you should um yeah that'll be in the show notes you should have a read through it and just see how disingenuous google are because you know they are an advertising company okay they're trying to move into services and you know they make a fair bit from the play store and from google cloud and all that but ultimately they started as an advertising agency, effectively, and they still fucking are, no matter what they try and claim. That's where they make all their money. And so them trying to say that they care about privacy and stuff, is just, it's just clearly disingenuous. Yeah, and the thing, there's a sentence in that, where, in that article um, where there's an implication that things like cookies were part of the original web design, you know, which is so false it's it's laughable um i mean i'm sure tim Berners-Lee would have some comment to make on that but this is the stage we've got purely because of advertising rather than through convenience although i admit there's obviously some convenience to having a cookie tracking what you've done and where you've been but we just need more control well yeah and failing's right just base the ads on the content surely that's going to work like if you're looking at some blog about gardening then advertise gardening products like i don't know shears and shit and you're much more likely to sell stuff if it's just clearly related whereas if you know we we have this situation now where people are waking up to this normal people who aren't working in it and they realize that they are being tracked and you know, they, they think that it's a bit more than it is. They say like, oh, I was talking about this thing yesterday and now I'm seeing ads for it. And, you know, they must have obviously done some sort of search or whatever. You're too trusting, Joe. You're too trusting. Your phone is listening to you. I'm tempted to put on my tinfoil hat and I don't really get advertising. And is this about advertising? Data is, you know, the resource that everybody wants to own. Um, and advertising is like the convenient kind of sell but it's probably just about data and and 
creating a business in the background that has nothing to do with actually selling you an advert. I mean, you buying something as a result of buying an advert, it's just to do with infinite feedback loops and more information. But what do they want to do with that information then, tinfoil hat man? Well, if if you can, you know, sell your effectiveness to advertisers or, or prove that you're targeting the specific narrow demographic that people feel their product is targeted for, then it's not your fault if uh, people aren't buying the product. But that's but it's that kind of reassurance that people buying advertising want because they don't generally, unless it's a big brand, don't generally have the confidence to kind of broadly advertise. They want to know they're specifically hitting their targets, which is why I think things like Facebook and affiliations are so successful and have changed the advertising model. Yeah, and if you look at that EFF doc, um, it talks about Apple's proposal to have six bits of information in there. Oh, or yeah. Sorry, six, a six-bit <laughs> number in there. Um, so a number between one and 64 versus Google's um, suggestion, which is a 64-bit number, which is 18 quintillion uh, <laughs> individual references. So that's very clearly... Well, I don't know. I say it's very clearly. It sounds to me like you could use that to identify an individual person or even an individual person's computer. They would never do that. Take that back. <laughs> yeah, whereas what Apple's trying to do is give you a group or whatever that is, yeah, as you say, between 1 and 64, which is much harder, although not impossible, to start identifying people. But, yeah, when you've got everyone with a, a genuinely unique number then obviously it's a piece of piss to track them and so it is stuff like that that just seems disingenuous getting into the the whole advertising thing i mean you know the, the elephant in the room there is that this show does have adverts on it but those adverts are not based on you know they're not dynamically inserted like with some podcast which i don't know if that's based on tracking i would imagine it could be but it's you know things like DigitalOcean. if you are listening to a podcast about linux there is a pretty good chance that you kind of want to check out what DigitalOcean does for example and so you know that that to me seems like the way to do it and okay podcast advertising is different from web advertising but does it really need to be that different surely you can just scan you know have the fucking ai bots or whatever scan the content of the website and just serve up relevant adverts i'd be much less inclined to block them if they were going to be relevant that way rather than relevant to me have it be relevant to the thing i'm interested in i know i keep saying that but it just seems so blindingly obvious to me unfortunately i don't think it's ever going to happen the cat's out of the bag you just need one bad actor in the advertising world and there will always be one to kind of destroy the whole it'll always fall to the lowest common denominator and i think the only way we can push back against it is by you know using technology to block ads and to increase privacy not if google have their way they won't let you block ads yeah 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 it's always an arms race isn't it but um i feel like i'm winning at the moment with ads <laughs> i very seldom see ads on the web and if i do i think right i need to update my ad block so maybe i'm a bit of a hypocrite given that we have ads on this show but you know we have that five dollar thing so you know uh, it's it's a difficult thing in it funding the web it, this is a conversation mm. that we could have for hours and has been had many times before and no one has come up with a solution. I mean, um, is is it the Brave browser where they have that cryptocurrency or something? Is that the one where Poby was on a flight and he got like a stream of non-functioning ads because he was on the airplane with no internet connection? <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Quality um, stuff. 
Well, you know, everyone's trying to solve this problem, but it's just too difficult, it seems, right now. I'm sure someone will come up with a solution eventually. All right, well, let's talk about the Fair Foreign 3. Um, so this is the third iteration, obviously, and the Fair Foreign 1 and 2 worked really well with custom ROMs and stuff, and I think that one of them is a target device for uh, Ubuntu Touch, um, and it's supposed to be an ethical phone. It's basically underpowered for the price, but all of the components, or as many of them as possible, are made from like recycled materials or certainly free trade gold and stuff. How many blood diamonds is the screen made from? Yeah, exactly, but it's trying to not be that. It's trying to not have conflict zone materials and trying to... Uh, just make it ethical. And one of the things is it's repairable as well, which is really cool. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the stats on it are too bad. I mean, the processor that it seems to use is, they say, roughly around a Moto G7 from 2017. And it's got four gigs of RAM and 64 gigs of storage. I mean, I well, maybe it's just me, but I, I think phones are getting to the point where they're kind of okay enough and you don't need to have the latest blistering speed. Uh, but I mean, maybe that's just my use case for them. Yeah, I think it does depend on how much you use it and what you use it for exactly, because you're not going to be playing any of the latest games on this thing. Why would you do that on a phone anyway? Why do you hate yourself that much? Well, I don't play any games on mine, so yeah, I'm inclined to agree. But I found that Google Maps is really slow lately, and it's making me think, instead of, hmm, maybe I should use like OSM and or whatever, maybe I should buy a new phone. <laughs> no, that's what they want you to think. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. But uh, I don't know, I like Google Maps. Please don't write in telling me how much uh, you hate me for that. <laughs> so this Fairphone thing, the, the main thing really is the repairability, I reckon. The fact that it's got a removable battery, that it's fairly modular and they sell the repairs and it's designed to last you for many years and not just get thrown away when your battery's fucked or if the screen cracks or whatever. So I, I do admire what they're doing. I mean, I'm not going to buy one because it's too underpowered for the price, so I'm a fucking hypocrite, basically. But if you've got the money and don't need a super uh, you know, flagship phone, then I think it's worth thinking about. I think the lesson to having a good battery is to not have the Google apps installed and then you'll have a battery that lasts for years because my phone still gets at least 36 hours of good usage out of it and I have had no problem. Really? Yeah. 36 hours? Yeah, I easily get 36 hours. Yeah, but if that's just sat there with the screen off most of the time, then mine could do that. No, it's not just sat there with the screen off most of the time. I do actually use the phone. Does nobody phone you? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, granddad, using a phone as a phone. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> Does it come with a rotary dial? <laughs> this episode is sponsored by CDN77. Go to cdn77.com. And they are a UK-based CDN provider with an end-to-end video processing and delivery platform as their standalone product called Streamflow. They sponsor a bunch of great open-source projects like CentOS, KDE, Fedora, Gentoo, and Funtu, And one of their standout clients is the European Space Agency, who use CDN77 to deliver Hubble images all around the world. They're a real innovation leader. They were the first CDN to implement a lot of new features like HTTP2 and Broccoli compression. And they don't outsource anything. Everything's developed and managed by their own team, including their own DDoS protection. And they can push 80 gigabits per second of live streaming through just one machine through their optimizations. All their servers are running Debian, and the vast majority of them are physical machines with an overall network capacity of more than 14 terabits per second. 
And they've got 35 points of presence in North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and Australia, with daily peaks regularly exceeding 5 terabits per second. They've got great 24-7 live support and flexible pricing with both great value monthly plans and pay-to-go options. You can get a 14-day free trial with no credit card needed, and if you do stick with them after that, you can get a 40% bonus if you mention Late Night Linux to sales or tech support. So, for example, if you topped up by $1,000, you get $400 on top of that. I hosted the MP3 for an episode of the JRS podcast on CDN77, and it was really easy to set up and link to it, and I had no complaints about the speed from anyone. So go to cdn77.com and start delivering new content. On to a bit of admin then, and thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It's very much appreciated. The Patreon crept up a little bit last month, and then everyone got charged, and then it crept back down again, as it does. So, uh, yeah, if you want to find out more about that, go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, if you pay $5 a month, you can get an ad-free RSS feed and never have to hear the adverts again. And you can go to latenightlinux.com slash contact if you want to get in touch with us. And a quick plug for OgCamp, which is happening on October the 19th and 20th in Manchester. We talked about it before, but uh, there's a, a call for crew now. So if you go to the website, ogcamp.org, you'll find that there. Um, they're looking for people to be on the crew, and that means helping out and various different jobs there. And you get a free T-shirt if you're willing to do that, although it does mean you have to get up early and not just drink all night and only go in the afternoon like I have been doing lately. And um, yeah, it's looking like I'll be hosting the panel there, which will be on the Saturday afternoon. And we're kind of still finalizing that. It might be... I don't know this. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Fuck it. It might well be that we do uh, a sort of ask me anything type situation. So do look out, follow our camp on Twitter or something, and there may well be a link uh, to ask questions for us, or well submit questions that we may answer uh, coming soon. We need to get that organised. So yes, come to our camp. It'll be good fun. Is that going to be like Boris Johnson's QA on Facebook? Yeah, very much so, where we just like only answer the questions that we want <laughs> and uh, don't have any scrutiny or anything. He has a dog <laughs> now, though, so it's okay. <laughs> it was very cute, that dog, to be fair, but I don't know what the cat's going to make of it. So let's talk about Microsoft and XFAT. They have released the technical specification for it at last and are adding the patents for it to the Open Invention Network, which means that anyone who is a member of the OIN which is pretty much everyone, can now use XFAT and not pay them a license fee or worry about getting sued. So that's pretty good, isn't it? I think it is good news. Um, it's especially good news for your man in the street or woman in the street desktop user who goes out and buys a new camera, plugs it into their um, Linux laptop, and the thing doesn't work because they haven't got XFAT and then they have to do some command line magic to install the thing. Um the initial patches I saw had had gone into the kernel, into staging. They were told that they were garbage, but you know it's going to stay there and it's going to get refined. So I don't know how long that process will take. Let's say six months, but let's say within a year, then um, those those devices are just going to start working out of the box in in all the Linux distros, and that is well, it's got to be good news for the user. So that realistically means with Ubuntu, um, the first LTS that'll get it will be 22.04, which is a scary thought about uh, how old we are. But um, that's quite a long time still then. Well, um, 
one, I'll have a flying car, so that's good. And two, uh, we'll do the hardware enablement kernels for the previous releases. So as soon as it lands in a kernel and that kernel um, gets released as the hardware enablement kernel, then you'll benefit from it in Ubuntu. So I think we'll see it, well, a couple of months after it actually lands in a stable kernel. Oh, so it could easily get into 2004 point something then? Yes, 2004.3 or 4 or something like that. Okay. That's pretty cool. Does this mean that Microsoft really does love Linux then? Oh, totally. I wish it wouldn't keep starting every press release with Microsoft lo- loves Linux. We say that a lot <laughs> and we mean it. <laughs> it just sets me... I mean, this is good news. This is great news. I wish they'd done it a long time ago, but they're doing it. Um, you know, but you just can't help... Of, you know, Microsoft loves Linux. Microsoft loves Linux. I know. And they have to use the heart emoji as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if Phelan, go on, be cynical then. What's the stipulation for a patent? It has to be non-obvious and um, not implemented. Well, neither of those things are true about this one. I mean, that's a broken patent system, but even still, I mean, even if you have, like, you should do a red hat. If you're if you're a real good guy, you do the red hat sort of way of doing it where you get the patents to protect yourself, but you don't use them against people, but they've been using stuff like this for ages. I'm sure this is part of the Android hmm. one, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so, I mean, obviously, there's a few salespeople going to be going out of business there because they've been going around um, to all the companies. I mean, so much so that was this not the file system that um, I'm not sure which camera manufacturer it was, but decided, well, you know what, we're going to invent our own file system just so we don't have to do this. Because it's not this ancient thing that's not used anymore, is it? It's actually still used on a shitload of cameras. It is. I mean, I haven't looked at it recently, but yeah, it's used absolutely everywhere. It's caused an awful lot of kind of consternation and concern. Um, it's status, and it's been tolerated in a lot of places where people wouldn't otherwise tolerate proprietary software, and knowing what it is. But it's also, I haven't looked at the, I haven't looked at Microsoft's technical specification, but it's it's been a relatively well understood reverse engineered um, spec for a long, long time. I don't think there's anything that particularly special about it, other than the fact that Microsoft obviously controlled its use. Yeah, well, hopefully it will get into the proper kernel soon. They'll clean all the um, code up and everything, and we can just start plugging our SD cards in and not having to fuck around installing Fuse and XFAT utils. Dare to dream, eh? Yeah, I'd like to see the death of FAT16. Can they do that? (laughs) (laughs) Right then, GIMP and Glimpse. Where do we start with this? So GIMP has got a stupid fucking name. I think everybody agrees, apart from maybe the GIMP devs on that, GNU Image Manipulation Program. They deliberately called it that so that they could call it GIMP because, ha, 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 that's really funny. I think it was more of a... (laughs) 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 Yes, I suspect it was. And so there's been various controversies over the years where people have suggested they change the name of it and the GIMP project has said, no, fuck you, it's called GIMP fork it if you don't like it or call it a GNU image manipulation program so you know they have acknowledged that people don't like the name of it and recently it's well okay hands up who hears the name GIMP and doesn't think of Pulp Fiction and that sense of the word (laughs) I don't because Quentin Tarantino is a twat well that may well be true Um, however uh, bring out the GIMP and all that is what people think. But 
there are those people who say that in certain cultures, gimp is a like ableist term. I suppose I have heard of it in that sense before, but I just automatically think of, you know, like BDSM stuff. But either way, it's a stupid fucking name. We can all agree on that. Um, and so when they were told about that by the people who complained, the GIMP project still stuck to their guns and said, no, we are not changing the name of it. And so a fork, and I use that, uh, the quote hands for that, has appeared called Glimpse, which is a much more sensible name to me. Um, Fab on Morning Calls said that they should just call it GNU Imp and just call it Imp, and that's a very simple solution, and I agree with that. But Glimpse is a fine name. And so a website has appeared, it was like a couple of months ago, but it seems to be doing the the rounds in the news because they had a post about like six weeks progress. And if you go to their website, they've got a code of conduct and some other stuff, but no fucking downloads or anything like that. So I don't know, this just seems like a bit of a storm in a teacup, really. It's taken a while to write the regex, try and find the word gimp and replace it with <laughs> glimpse. <laughs> Well, they want to rebrand, you know, with different artwork and not infringe on the trademark and all the rest of it. So I understand that does take some time, but it just seems weird that we're like everyone's talking about this thing when there's nothing you can download. That there's not even an alpha of it or whatever. Um, and GIMP is a very complicated bit of software that is cross-platform, and it's not like some Python thing that you can just chuck out. I fucking take offense to that. Fucking <laughs> Python thing you chuck out. Fuck you, don't use my script later, you prick. <laughs> oh yeah, you gave me your Pythons. No, but you know, that, that is a simple script that I could probably run on Windows. It's a very complicated advanced script, I'll have you know. You write it. <laughs> All right, okay, whatever. But, you know, this GIMP has got to run on a lot of different platforms and to, to package it up and everything is a big fucking job. And they have found that out. And that's why we still haven't got anything from this. Yeah. And the, the disappointing thing is the fact that for everybody who is now going to uh, contribute to Glimpse and not to GIMP, and for the guys that are still left behind doing GIMP, they've split their workload. I mean, I don't know what percentages, I have no idea how many people are involved in either, but it's not good for a project that was already struggling because GIMP really could have used more people working on it. Um, yeah. And no matter what way that has to be, whether they find some common base and they find one script that can rename either package exactly the same way because they say they're going to add new features. And are those features going to be compatible with the current version? Are they going to diverge? You know, it's messy. It's horrible to see stuff like that happen, really. Yeah, but I th I think, I mean, we've talked about this for a, a long time. I mean, I, I can't remember, maybe over a decade ago it was the first time, you know, people, we talked about it anyway. And I do agree with the reasoning behind it. I've always thought GIMP was an, an awkward name and it's a really important piece of marketing for open source and f for what the GIMP does, which is a great project. I mean, but it's so difficult. I'm thinking of openoffice.org. And there's still, I think openoffice.org might still have more users than LibreOffice simply because of the name on the tin. People understand what it does. And this is always not just what's wrong with GIMP, the name in terms of what some of its implications, but also how much better it could be or how much more effectively it can communicate what it does and how people could use it. And I do think that it's a shame GIMP has stayed so stuck to the name it's a shame that it has to fork and i don't think maybe this fork's going to have enough momentum to to make the change happen but i do agree with the reasoning behind it 
Is there any indication about how many people are involved in this fork? I mean, I poked around on the the GitHub page and it seems like maybe two, but I don't really get a good feeling for who's behind it, who, you know, what sort of size team they've got. Well, the GIMP only really has a couple of people, doesn't it? Mm, Exactly. Well, you look at contributors over its lifespan, there's there's plenty of people in there. People have done drive-by commits and that sort of thing. But um, uh, yeah, I guess the question here is, is... If you find a bug and you're going to do a drive-by commit or a drive-by pull request, where are you going to do that? And um, I think that most people will do it against GIMP because then, Hmm. you know, that's the best chance you've you've got of getting it fixed. But um, I don't know, maybe the Glimpse people will fix their own bugs and, and it will become a project in its own right. But it just doesn't feel like it to me. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's putting the discomfort with the name to the actual test. If it if it works and it is more successful and more people download it and it generates more momentum, maybe they'll get more contributors and it'll work that way. But getting over this initial hurdle is always something we see before with forks. People mm. think it might be easier than it actually is, and it's a very difficult job and there's a huge amount of effort involved. Oh, well, just use Krita. <laughs> <laughs> I had to use that the other day because my wife didn't have GIMP on her laptop. Um, and I needed to resize some photos. And it was just, ah, oh, it was terrible trying to learn something new. That's all graphics applications. They're all terrible. I don't understand them. I lack that gene. I wanted to change the color of a, of a like red into blue or whatever it was. I could not do it. It took me about 20 minutes. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Well, all I know is Shift C gives you the crop tool. And then, yeah, that's pretty much all I need that and resizing. And rotating, maybe. Is that you putting your head on various political leaders? <laughs> no, you need to be able to actually cut stuff out for that, and I've got no idea. I could probably do it in Photoshop, just about, but not GIMP or Krita. Anyway, a bit of sad news. Uh, Chris Beard is stepping down as Mozilla CEO, but unfortunately we don't really have much info about why. All we know is that it's going to be at the end of the year. In the five years that he was there, I think we've definitely seen a shift in Firefox focus. And Firefox was kind of off doing daft things like phones and stuff like that. And it seems to have refocused back on a browser. So I guess you could take that as a plus. Yeah, well, hopefully whoever takes over will do a good job. But we'll have to see who that is. It might well be Mitchell Baker for a bit. Uh, She has said that she will kind of uh, be the interim while they look for someone. Because it does take a while to find these people. Uh, a new CEO, especially of an unusual corporation like Mozilla. So, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. It's only a few months till the end of the year, isn't it? Don't mention Brexit. Don't mention Brexit. Let's move on. <laughs> right. Well, let's end with a bit of a funny one. And that is that uh, an NPM dev put in uh, a package that would give you adverts on the command line if you um, decided to add that. Uh, package to your dependencies <laughs> and so people were just fucking outraged like what the last bastion of <laughs> not having ads my fucking terminal you put ads in and so npm like changed their rules to say that you couldn't have that anymore and you can't help but feel like nice try mate but nah it's not happening is it i mean if he was any honorable way he could at least install a crypto miner and everybody would have been happy <laughs> none the wiser well at least this is honest you know at least it's not like some dodgy crypto miner this was it doesn't get in the way though does it you wouldn't even know <laughs> yeah but um Linode advertised with them 
um, but then decided, mm, actually, no, we don't like this backlash. Maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> so it was relevant ads. You know, it goes back to that thing, you know. Well, ad- ad- adding um, Apple in your LS when you do a director listing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's the lengths people will go to. But yeah, like I said, nice try, but yeah, not happening. All right, well, let's get out of here then. Uh, We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the full house again, hopefully. But until then, I've been Joe. Pro-rogue Phelan. (laughs) (laughs) Pro-rogue Graham. And I've been Will. (laughs) See you later. (laughs) 